Well, that was one of the preludes that kind of summed up church. Thank you, Julia. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Welcome to the first Sunday after Pentecost when we celebrate the Holy Trinity. I'm John White, Senior Interim Minister for One More Week, uh, and I'm joined this morning by my friend, the Reverend Ruth Bell Olson, our Director of Music, Dr. Julia Brown, uh, our Choir Director, Professor Scott Bosher, and our choir members and cantors this morning, Anne-Marie Church, who will also be doing our lectionary reading. And a familiar face, Mr. William Potts. We are glad you are here. And, oh, I should also mention, for those of you watching on live stream, Facebook, or YouTube, the reason you're seeing this is our talented director, Pat McGuire, that nobody ever sees, but you see us because of Pat. It's good to see people back in the sanctuary. In fact, it's wonderful to see people back in the sanctuary. And I would ask you this morning, if you are sitting on the inn, on the interior aisle, please take the Friendship Register, uh, sign it, and pass it down the aisle. Uh, I'm not the only one retiring. Our uh, custodian and building manager, Paul Klein, will be retiring at the end of the month. The flowers we have this morning are from Suzanne Shelton, and she sends it in memory of all the veterans, and all the men and women who are currently in the profession of arms. Our annual meeting will be held immediately after church next Sunday. Our moderator, Jim Rogers, will call us to order. After the benediction, we'll do the business of the church, and then we'll install our new committee members and our new moderator, Susan Jones. I'm pleased to report that last week's fun run, thank you very much, was extremely successful. Uh, the kids ran 566 laps. I couldn't even do that when I was in the police academy. Uh, at $2 a lap, and they raised $1,132 for Eden Village. John and Linda Lark came to tell the kids about Eden Village beforehand, and we had fun participating in the a royal week. They had fun participating in the fun run. I watched. It's been a strange year for everybody. In fact, if you came in here early, you saw the complexity of preparing for the service. We've been preaching and worshiping in front of a camera, and that takes a script and a lot of rehearsal. As we get more and more people back in the sanctuary, while we will still be simulcasting and live streaming, we will get back to regular worship aimed at the people sitting here. Uh, next week, June 6th, is graduation Sunday, and we will be recognizing our seniors who are graduating from high school, the area high schools. We don't have any college seniors this year, but we will join those high school seniors. And now I would love to introduce a person that you already know, our musical director, Dr. Julia Brown, for a word about today's music.
first thing I want to do is talk about next Sunday's music before I get to this Sunday. Uh, we are bringing the choir back. Anyone who has been vaccinated, we've put an email out and we will be rehearsing next Wednesday at 7.30 during our normal choir time in the sanctuary and then singing next Sunday. We're going to reclaim the choir loft. And the reason I'm telling you is because um, anyone is welcome to come and join us. I know you all have voices because I've been hearing you singing now that we're allowed to sing again. And we have to make up for all of this lost time of not being able to sing for a year and a half. So um, if you've been thinking, oh, choir is a great thing and I'd love to to offer this as a ministry to Mayflower and a way to, to help lead our uh, worship services nothing like a new beginning to get us to try something that we've been wanting to do so the invitation is open to you or to anyone you know just show up this coming wednesday at 7:30, and we will uh, welcome you with open arms and about today's music i want to point out a couple of things uh first is the middle hymn which is uh quite beautiful and unusual and maybe unfamiliar even though it's in our hymnal um and i picked it because it pushes us into uh different ideas of how to address god so uh the author of the text who wrote this in 1991 Um, draws from writings of Julian of Norwich and uh, each it's three verses so each verse speaks to one person of the Trinity Um, and it's interesting because he uses maternal images for each of those persons of the Trinity so mothering God you gave me birth is verse one mothering Christ you took my form is verse two and mothering spirit nurturing one is verse 3. So not only does he take um, maternal images, but also vivid metaphors uh, that puts the Trinity in intimate relationship with each of us. We are speaking, right, to you are my rain, you are my wind, you are my sun. So really quite thought-provoking text. And then I want to say a word about today's postlude, um, because although there's no text to go with it, it is very symbolic of the Trinity. So it is a fugue by J.S. Bach, um, and uh, the initial, it's also nicknamed St. Anne because uh, the first theme sounds a lot like the St. Anne tune. We sing that to, oh God, our help in ages past. So you'll hear say, why do I know that? theme uh it's because it's possibly based on that hymn tune but um Bach goes beyond even his mastery as a an amazing counterpoint writer um so he writes not just one theme but three and he writes this fugue in E flat E flat is a key that has three flats so you start you know seeing these trinity uh, and they're very intentional And uh, by the third fugue, he takes all three of those themes and combines them together in a five-voice fugue. So it's hard enough to write counterpoint in two voices, but he writes it in five. 
Um, and Bach was one of those composers who really pushed the boundaries. He was always looking to how, how better can I make this music? How more can I incorporate new and innovative ideas? And I like to think about that with um, what Ruth maybe is going to preach about today is really pushing us to think in different ways and how can we on our faith journeys look for deeper and better and fuller ways to live. Thank you, Julia. One more announcement. I am very happy to tell you that for the first time in one and a half years, after the service, our atrium is open. There will be coffee, and we will gather and continue worshiping by talking to one another, by hugging and shaking hands, uh, and just filled with joy and coffee and probably some cookies. Well, let's prepare our hearts for worship. This is a congregational church where we welcome everybody. This is a congregational church where we believe that God is love, that Jesus saves, and the Holy Spirit is with us. This is a congregational church wherever you are on your journey of faith. However faithful you think you are, or however you feel you lack faith, you're welcome here. This is a congregational church. Let's worship God. Please join me in the opening prayer. Dear friends in Christ, we have come together on this Trinity Sunday to celebrate in word and song and to affirm our faith in God, the three in one, 
Please join me in the call to worship. Almighty God, angels sang for joy when you created with your voice the heavens and the earth. Hear our voices today and accept our praise and thanksgiving for the gift of speech and song. We are Oh Jesus Christ, you are the Word made flesh the firstborn of many sisters and brothers in the family of God, who have heard your music in their hearts. Open the ears of our hearts this day, that all we say and all we sing may reveal you in us and us in you, whose body and voice we are in this world. O Holy Spirit, with tongues of fire, you have inspired the speech and song of evangelists, preachers, poets, and musicians. persons in one God living in harmony. As your church, our many voices, our many lives become one chorus to praise your holy Hallelujah. Amen.
let us pray. Creator, O Holy One, open our eyes and open our ears that we may see. O Christ, present at the beginning of creation, consuming Jesus of Nazareth, who told us that the Christ also lives in us. Warm our hearts. O Holy Spirit, who brings the words of Jesus and the power of God, let us worship you in spirit and truth. Amen. This morning's scripture reading comes from John chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from, the, from God, from the presence of God. Jesus answered him, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. And Nicodemus said to him, How can anyone be born have, after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and of spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it. But you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? And Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, We speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen. Yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, 
How can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Please pray with me. Precious God, Christ, and Holy Spirit, we come to you on this Trinity Sunday with more questions than answers. This three-in-oneness is a mystery. But help us this morning. Give us a glimmer of you and a new way of thinking about who you are and how you move in our lives. May we never be the same because we have encountered your holy divinity. Amen. This grace that scorches us, a blessing for Pentecost Day by Jan Richardson. Here's one thing you must understand about this blessing. It is not for you alone. It is stubborn about this. Do not even try to lay hold of it if you are all by yourself, thinking you can carry it on your own. To bear this blessing, you must first take yourself to a place where everyone does not look like you or think like you, a place where they do not believe precisely as you believe, where their thoughts and ideas and gestures are not echoes of your own. Bring your sorrow, bring your grief, Bring your fear, bring your weariness, your pain, your disgust at how broken the world is, how fractured, how fragmented, by its fighting, its wars, its hungers, its penchant for power, its ceaseless repetition of the history it refuses to rise above. I will not tell you this blessing will fix all that. But in the place where you have gathered, wait, watch, listen, Lay aside your inability to be surprised, your resistance to what you do not understand. See then whether this blessing turns to flame on your tongue, sets you to speaking what you cannot fathom, or opens your ear to a language beyond your imagining that comes as a knowing in your bones, a clarity in your heart that tells you this is the reason we were made for this ache that finally opens us, for this struggle, this grace that scorches us toward one another and into the blazing day. Amen. Yes, I know this is a Pentecost blessing, and Pentecost was last Sunday. This Sunday after Pentecost is, according to the church calendar, considered Trinity Sunday. Why does Trinity Sunday follow Pentecost? Last week, we celebrated the arrival of the Holy Spirit and read from the book of Acts this account of flames, of fire, and voices in all languages. In the New Testament, we have this incredible Pentecost event happening 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus. The Holy Spirit arrives with fanfare, and in its arrival, the new and everlasting covenant with God and humanity in Jesus is confirmed. This is quite something. God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, the Trinity in covenant with us. Here is the link between Pentecost and Trinity Sunday. God labors to heal, save, and reconcile, and then calls us into this divine fellowship. By showing us, in a sense, God's interior life, God's innermost reality, we see a communal God. God exists in a divine family. According to one Catholic scholar, God discloses to us the dynamism that exists within God's self, 
God is active. This fellowship that we are invited into isn't a vacuum. It's an invitation to join an ongoing relationship that's alive and vibrant. As humans, why do, why do we desire to be with each other? Why do we seek to be loved, to accept others, and to be accepted? The simplest answer to this question is the Trinity. Genesis 1.26 reads, Then God said, Let us make humankind in our image, according to our likeness. It is in the image of the triune God that we are made, and like God we pine to be with others. It is the divine family that is the exemplar and interior overlay of all that we are and all that we aspire to become, even if we weren't aware of it. We are a communal people because we are made in the image and likeness of a communal God. At the center of all reality, the heart of the universe, there exists an eternal divine community of perfect love. And the Bible calls this community God, the Christ, and the Holy Spirit. If God is love, then the only way God can demonstrate love is in relationship. Love does not exist in a monad. God is the eternal community of love. Love flows outward, and it grows. As we crave connection and relationship, we're simply mirroring the heart of God, a relational being who's in this Trinitarian relationship. But how do we describe this? Do we even have the words in our language? When we describe God, what pronoun do we use? Historically and traditionally, we use he. But God is not a man. God is a relational, communal, three-in-one. So this is problematic. Furthermore, in all kinds of scholarly evidence, it points to the Holy Spirit's pronoun as being more likely she. And Jesus walked the earth in a male body, so we refer to him as he. There are all kinds of ways, God and gender and all of this is very confusing. Are gendered pronouns important? Important to God? To us? Do they limit us? Well, several years ago, I registered for a faith and spirituality conference in Chicago. This newly formed group organizing the conference had the goal of featuring leadership, voices, and experience of people of color. They also made it very clear that the event was open and affirming to people who identify as LGBTQ. These two demographics have historically been underrepresented in discussions of Christianity and faith. So I was eager to attend and learn. In my experience as a person of faith growing up in the church, Almost every pastor or church leader in my life has been male and white and straight. And please know I am extremely grateful, Reverend Dr. Jonathan White, (laughs) for all these men who have influenced my journey. But more recently, I've had cause to grieve the fact that I may have missed the richness and fullness of the movement and story of God embodied in those who are not straight white men. And for humanity to be made in the image of the triune God, are there things about God I have missed seeing? So on the morning of the conference, I entered the building and approached the registration table to receive my packet and name tag. As I proceeded through the line, a volunteer extended a handful of stickered ribbons, the kind that adhere to the bottom of a plastic name tag holder, and they kind of dangle below. 
Uh, perhaps you've seen these. Often it might be the speaker or an award winner or someone that is kind of a standout at the conference. They have an extra little sticker on their tag. In this instance, I was being offered a ribbon with my preferred pronoun. Below my name, I had a choice as to how I wanted people to address me. She, her, he, him, they, them, or fill in the blank. They, them, fill in the blank. My name is Ruth. I was assigned the female gender at birth, and I have never questioned this. In this regard, my life has been easy. I have taken this for granted. I am female, and I'm married to a male. Done. Check. I fit into some pretty neat and normal categories. Maybe you do, too. Yet for many people, this is not the case. For many people who are non-binary, binary meaning two options, male or female, their experience has been deeply problematic. They have been ostracized, discriminated, misunderstood, mocked, and worse. And yet, they are created in the image and likeness of God. At this conference, when I saw all of these options on colorful ribbons, it struck me for the first time in my life, and I've been to a lot of conferences, that the organizers were intentionally telegraphing to the attendees that you are welcome to come to this conference and be yourself. You are welcome to show up as your full self, without judgment, and you will be loved and accepted. Your voice will be heard and your perspective honored. If you do not fit in a check-the-box category, that is okay. We might all have something to learn from each other. Throughout the next few days, I noticed a lot of name tags with she, her, and he, him ribbons. I also observed a plethora of they, them ribbons. This option of pronoun is like a glass of cold water in the desert for people who do not identify as binary. If a person is exploring how God constructed their body, their spirit, their being, if being considered male or female is problematic for a host of reasons, the option of they, them is a welcome one. And yet, I will admit, this is very clunky. They, them is a plural pronoun. When someone is referred to as they, I've often caught myself wondering how many people we are referring to. Our English language fails us in this regard. We do not have a pronoun for a person, just a person, without labels and designations, just a human being made in the image and likeness of God. Which begs the question, does our language fail us when we try to describe the Trinity? When the world around us is telling us to judge people who are different and do not fit into categories we are comfortable with, is it countercultural to state first to start first and foremost with this idea that God is infinitely creative? God is inherently in relationship. God is not binary. As Jan Richardson writes, to bear this blessing, you must first take yourself to a place where everybody does not look like you or think like you, a place where they do not believe precisely what you believe or their thoughts and ideas and gestures are not echoes of your own. But this is really tricky, isn't it? We don't often talk about these things. We don't often talk about these things in church. But a few months ago, 
I was part of a worship service for a very diverse group of Christians in downtown Grand Rapids. I was asked to read scripture, and the passage was Psalm 23. The translation I was using kept referring to God as he, which we are all very used to. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. As I stated a few minutes ago, I'm often uncomfortable with this male pronoun usage for God. So as I was reading, I began changing the pronoun for God to they. They lead me beside quiet waters. They restore my soul. And it struck me, God is a they. The Trinity is a they-them. This dynamic relational God is not he or she. God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit are working together in love. They are the one true God. They are the Alpha and Omega. We were created in the image and likeness of them. Have we missed something about God with our pronoun usage? I question... Are there other ways that we can be stretched in our understanding of God and the Trinity? What happens to us when we encounter the divine them? And perhaps this is what was happening with Nicodemus. In this passage we read from John, something happens to him. You see, Nicodemus was the leader of the leaders. He held a position as a ruler of the Pharisees. He was wealthy and he was powerful. The Pharisees' pride was that they pledged to obey the Jewish laws and traditions down to the minute details. They were, in their eyes, blameless. And the fact that Jesus broke the rules made them furious. Rules, categories, delineations were to be adhered to. No one was to go outside the box, certainly not religiously. But Nicodemus was curious. He saw the healing and the joy that Jesus brought. He saw how Jesus challenged the systems that were not pro-people, the systems of injustice that left people marginalized. We see Nicodemus going directly to Jesus at night to ask his questions. His curiosity under the cover of darkness led him directly to the Savior. To echo Jan Richardson again, Nicodemus was able to lay aside his inability to be surprised, his resistance to what he did not understand. If anyone were to enter the kingdom of God, it would have been Nicodemus. He was one of the best, most adherent Jews. He followed the law faithfully. Yet Jesus challenges this. Jesus says that he must be born again. He must be born of the Spirit. Following laws and rules is one thing, being open to the spirit of love. This relational spirit of the three-in-one God is something else entirely. This account of Nicodemus and Jesus in John chapter 3 contains one of the most well-known verses of the Bible. John 3.16 For God so loved the world, all of it, that God gave God's only Son so that everyone who believes in this Christ may not perish, but have everlasting life. Everlasting, eternal life. In Greek, this word is ahinios, and it means operating outside of time, inside of time, and beyond time. Those who believe enter into this quality of God's life and love and life 
now as a present possession. Eternal life is now. There's this Trinitarian relational God loves the whole world, all of it. Those who fit in and those who don't, particularly those who don't. This Trinitarian relational God sent God's self to restore a broken world, and those who believe this amazing story are welcome into a new reality of everlasting life and love, born anew. Following Jesus means putting our trust in this radical and inclusive way of love, inviting the God, Jesus, and Holy Spirit relational entity into our lives. Did this produce a revelation or a revolution in Nicodemus? Did he see those around him differently? How did his heart change for the marginalized, the misunderstood, those for whom the laws and rules are a burden? We see him two more times in Scripture. When he's defending Jesus at a meeting with the Sanhedrin court, and again when he purchases 100 pounds of myrrh and aloe as embalming spices for the crucified Christ. He is there with Joseph of Arimathea when Jesus is placed in the tomb. In Jewish tradition, about one pound of spice was customary. Maybe a few more if the person was a person of honor. But Nicodemus goes above and beyond with his hundred pounds, doesn't he? He wants to lavish the physical body of Christ with goodness. Did he not get it that Jesus would rise and not need all those spices? Maybe. Or perhaps... Nicodemus had encountered the Christ. Perhaps he'd experienced the divine community of the Christ. Perhaps he wanted to be as close to Jesus as possible, even in death, because his life was forever changed. Did he experience the grace that scorches us toward one another and into the blazing day? I hope so. And I hope and pray that this is our experience, too. In the name of the Holy They, God the Christ and the Holy Spirit, Amen. been comforted, let us comfort. We have been blessed, let us bless. We have been loved, let us love. Let us continue worshiping with our gifts and offerings.
Let us pray. O great mystery, three in one, one in three, put these gifts to work for you. Accept them with our love, just as you love us. This we pray in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. We have come to the point in our service where we gauge, engage in that old pilgrim tradition, the congregational prayer. We're still doing it for live stream. It won't be long till we're down there with everyone saying the prayer together. But right now, if you want, I just invite you to say aloud Anything that is on your heart, we can say it all together. And if you don't feel like saying it aloud, then say it in your heart. For what shall we pray? I'm praying for my wife, Marsha. Let us pray. Holy God, source of all goodness, You gave your Son for the life of the world and sent your Spirit that your love might abide within us. Teach us how to love each other this day, that we may have life and have it abundantly with you in Christ through the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, giver of life. Breathe into us that which we may hear, the word of truth. Draw us into communion. Enable us to love. Conspire to make us one with you for the world you love so deeply. Let us offer our prayers crying, Abba, Father, knowing that God is spirit and God's spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children and heirs of God. We pray for the world, that through the reconciling love of Christ, our destructive and violent ways may cease, as you bless your human family with peace. We pray for the mission of the church. Empower it to do your will. We pray for all those who suffer, that together with Christ and his sufferings, we may find healing as he did. We pray for your creation as it groans for its redemption. We pray that we may care for its well-being through the power of your life-giving spirit. We remember before you those who have died and pray for those who will die today that through your glorious redemption, your redemption will end all suffering, that they and we may rest with you eternally.
And on this Memorial Day, we give thanks for those brave souls who dressed in blue, olive drab, brown, khaki, and camouflage. Warriors who stood at Concord Bridge and Heartbreak Ridge, who braved the sea in fighting cell, sailed beneath it and above it, those who flew across continents and ocean, those who stood at Valley Forge, and those who stand in the mountains of Afghanistan, that we may be free. Help the people of this nation live up to their legacy. Help us to be truly free, to embrace justice and disdain injustice, to overcome classism, racism, economic inequalities, prejudices against sexual and gender orientations, and all sins that keep us from being in complete union with you. Give us one nation under God with liberty and justice for all. O great parent, mighty three in one, O mystery of mother and father, creator God, hear us as we pray in the words of Jesus together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
are welcome to be seated and enjoy this postlude that Julia has planned. If you need to leave, please exit quietly. As a benediction to today's worship service, on this Trinity Sunday, as we still bask in the glow of the Pentecost fire, may the relational God of interpersonal interaction be fully present in your life, the eternal, everlasting life that is here now and forever.